Now, throughout this series, we've been speaking on things about how our words shape things, that there are times we need to ask God for things in prayer and times we need to speak to circumstances and situations. And storms are not something we need to ask God anything about. Amen. We already have the will of God on the fact of storms. Every time Jesus encountered a storm that was a problem, he told it to go. He told it to stop. He told he, uh, Now, he didn't stop every single storm, but if the storm got to be a uh, hassle, he just removed it. <laughs> so that's all we, we need to do that. So we're going to just speak over uh, the, uh, our homes or the things that are they're going on, the, the things that are going on with the storm, because we have the opportunity to do that. We have the right to do that. Glory be to God. We thank you that every single one of you has a good trip on the way home. And just an enjoyable time, all the family being at home and, and just watching the stuff going on outside, knowing that it will not come near you. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's speak to that right now. In the name of Jesus, storm, we just command you that water, you will not come into our homes. You will not go where you are not welcome. You will only be where you are allowed. You are not welcome in our basements, in our homes, in our cars. But you will go where you need to be. In trees, we speak to you. You will not fall down in our homes. You will not fall down in our cars. You will not fall down in our fences. You will not fall down and harm any property that we have. In the name of Jesus, that will not go on. Glory to God. Glory to God. And we speak to you, storm, neither tornado nor clash of lightning will come near our home will harm us in any way. We are free from any ill effects of this storm. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you will not come near our homes. You will not come near our places. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. All right. Well, no matter how nasty the storm looks outside, you just smile and look at that thing and say, you can't come near me. <laughs> no trees are going down and crashing into my house. If you start hearing stuff, they get you the one that he worried that's a thorn, just trying to get the weed, the, 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 the uh, word in you to not grow. No, just laugh at it. Storm, you will not come near me. If they say there's a tornado on your block, just smile <laughs> and stay where you are because in your home, it will not come near me. It will not come this way. I don't know if any of you are aware of that, but um, uh, Christopher Columbus, when he was sailing over here, wrote in his journals. Uh, as they were going through, I think it was the Sargasso Sea or somewhere around that, that area, uh, there was actually a water spout that was coming towards the boat. And it frightened most of the crew. And in his journals, he put that he stood in the bow and commanded the tornado to go. And um, I forget exactly how they said that it went, whether it just dissipated or it actually skipped over the boat. But um, that was Christopher Columbus. <laughs> now, I know they don't teach you that he was that kind of a man in the history books. They've rewritten most of those history books to have them have people be who they want them to be. But glory to be to God. We can speak to these things. You know, the Word of God says it will not come near us. Yeah, it can be all around us. May, may a thousand may fall at your right hand, ten thousand at your left, but it won't hurt you. Uh, near misses are nothing. <laughs> Just laughing, the devil says, as close as you can get, too. <laughs> but laugh at them. Don't get, don't get all caught up and be worried. Amen. That's not going to help you out. 
Well, we're going to look at the Word of God. We're glad for all of you who made it out here on this, this night. So far, it's just rain. I don't even see any wind out there just yet, but it's, uh, I guess, on its way. Glory to God. We will be fine. There was a panel of women who were debating on what they thought was the perfect man. A guy who was with it. Now, you would have thought they would have picked, you know, some athlete, some uh, famous actor or maybe a business tycoon who was rich. Well, they didn't. They picked Mr. Potato Head. The reasons for it were, first off, he's tan. He's cute. He knows the importance of accessorizing. And if he looks at another girl, you can rearrange his face. <laughs> well, we're all looking for the things that are perfect, aren't we? Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we all want to get into the will of God and get into that perfect area. We've been discussing, uh, we started to discuss a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, the will of God. Last week, we were looking at Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, of course, he was a, uh, a guy who, he was told some things about David. He was told what David was going to be. That David was mad with him. That David was angry. David was going to try and kill him. All these different things about David. He believed all these things all his life. And all his life he thought that David was this horrible person. And if he, David ever found out he was there, David was going to kill him. And then all of a sudden the call came. This is after he was, he was five when they ran off. But now he's got a child. And he ran off with the, ran off with the nurse. And they were hiding him. And they said, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. No one can know that you're here. But then one day, David kept asking and kept asking. And one day he got an answer. Is there anyone left to the house of Jonathan? And they found out from Saul's servant, Ziba. Yes, there is one. And they told him where it was. And, and so he went and summoned Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth is coming and he's thinking the whole time, I'm dead. David finally found out I'm here. I'm a descendant of Saul. He needs to get me out of the way so that there's no problem with getting to the throne. And then when he saw David, he threw himself down. And David said, get up. Get up. Come on. You're going to eat at my table. The servant of Saul is now your servant. All of that stuff that belonged to the Saul, it's all yours now. But you won't need any of it because I'm going to take care of everything that you need. You're going to eat at my table for the rest of your days. You're going to live in my house for the rest of your days. And all the money you make off of that land, it's just whatever you want to do with it, you can do with it. But you don't have to spend any money on what you need because i got you all covered. Now, that just blew Mephibosheth out of the water. Because this is not the image of the God that he, or the, the, the king that he thought. And too often we have an image of God, and we think the will of God is known, but we, had, we don't know who God is. We don't know God. You see, if Mephibosheth knew David, he would have known that's not in David's character to do those things. That's in the character of other kings, but it's not in David's character. We've got to get to know God. We all want to be in the will of God. We all want to be in the place of God. We all want to be in the direction that God wants us to be and doing the things that God wants to do, don't we? And we have sometimes confusion on that. Well, I don't want to make the wrong move. I don't want to take the wrong job. I don't want to go to the wrong place. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I want to be in that place of, of the will. I've heard people teaching this before and uh, about the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that there's three levels of the, of the, will, of the, of the will of God. I started doing some research on these words and, and um, kind of challenged that 
a little bit. But re regardless of that, we're not really going to delve into that aspect of it right now. What we do understand is that I can follow the perfect will of God or I can go in a different way. We know from the examples of the Word of God that Israel could follow the way that God wanted them to or they could follow in a different way. And they sometimes chose to follow in a different way and sometimes they chose to follow in the way of God. David himself sometimes chose to follow in the will of God and sometimes he went in a different direction. But if we're going to have faith, faith begins, as we said before, Brother Hagin used to tell us this, faith begins where the will of God is known. We've got to know what the will of God is and then we can have faith for it. Here's the question. Or when the question, am I in the will of God for my life? When that question comes up, when we had that question come up on the inside of us, am I in the will of God for my life? We often focus on where and what, but there is more to this answer. Our focus tends to be on what I am doing and where I am going. How many times do we think, am I in the will of God? Am I doing the things that God wants me to do? Am I following in the right call? Am I functioning in the right function? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? What if I'm in the wrong place? What if I'm supposed to be over here and I'm over here? And we tend to focus on these particular things. Now, these are not unimportant. They are important. But they're not the only thing for us to focus on. We've got to discover more to get to this answer. Put in your outline that as much as, as place and function are part of God's call and will for our life. So are things like substance, character, fruit, maturity. Here's some examples. Abraham. We've looked at him a lot of times. Why did God demand so much of Abraham? Why did God demand him to be in such a place of faith in order for him to have a child? There were a whole lot of people who had child, children who didn't have nearly as much faith as Abraham did. Why did God demand so much of him? Well, he may not have understood all that God was calling him to, to be when he said, remember the promise he gave him? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we look at that and said, oh, wow, this is great. But it also came with a certain amount of responsibility. And Abraham had to get to that place. The biggest test, there was a bigger test that was ahead for Abraham. Very big test that was ahead for him. And he needed to be given time to grow and develop. And God gave him all the time to grow and develop that he needed until he got him to that place where he was ready. The child came and eventually stood the test and Abraham came through it. But too often we look at the where. Is he in the right place? Now, when Abraham was received that call, God said, Abraham, get up from this land and go into a land that I will show you. And so we see that Abraham got up for that with all of his family, went up to a place that wasn't that land and they stayed there for a little while until his dad died. And then the call came again and he left that place and they went over to the land of Canaan. They got there. They found out there was famine in the land so they left and went over to Egypt. If it's dependent on the where, God said go into the land of Canaan and he's every place else but. The where is not always as important. But sometimes we focus on it a little too much. Joseph was where he was as important as who he is. He was over there with his, his family and then they sold him into a you know, slavery and he, had, he went carted on into Egypt and eventually was in the prison. Was God concerned with where he was? It didn't matter where he was. Wherever he was, God's going to use him. It wasn't that God had a, a, a desire for him to be in prison. It's just, Joseph, no matter where they put you, we're going to get you to where you need to be. But God was developing him. First off, obviously, his organizational skills were great when he left, but God continued to develop them. No matter what situation you put Joseph in, he 
soared to the top because his character, no matter what, always stayed the same. It's very trustworthy. And this character was testified so if, if he had not done all this, if Potiphar was not able to testify as to how great a character Joseph was, if the head of the, of the king's prison wasn't able to, te- to testify as to how great a character this uh, Joseph was, then when the time that came to promote, what do you think the king's thinking? What do you think Pharaoh's thinking? Well, I don't know this guy. He's in prison. But he has testimony on two people that he relies on. He trusts a lot. And they all say, this guy is unbelievable. Whatever you put in his hands, it will prosper. It will do good. And he will take good care of it. You won't have to be concerned. About it. I know. I, I put my whole house in his care. I put the whole prison in his care. God was developing organizational skills, certainly. But also knowing the right way when others fight against you. Joseph had to know that if God said to go this way and to do this and believe this, he would do it no matter how many came against him. His own family came against him. Potiphar's house, the, the wife came against him. How many times do you think he ran into people getting to prison? He had to know that if God tells you to do it this way, no matter what, you stay with it and you hold on to how he, did, he said to do it. Because God said the entire nation of Israel's future is dependent on you doing the right thing. I need you to do the right thing. Because I'm going to bring the whole nation of Israel, all the family, and they're going to grow and they're going to nurture and they're going to become a great nation there in that place. And I need you to set the stage for it. And he did. But see, the where he was was not as important as the who he was. And God was developing the who he was. Too often, the enemy wants to come along. He wants us to focus on the where and the what, not the who. God can do do all kinds of things with where and what. What he needs you to work on is the who. Who are you? Who are you becoming? Daniel was developing skills he would need in Babylon while he was in Judah. When he got into Babylon, he was able to put those skills to work. How about Mary? She was developing skills and faithfulness and trust to get her ready to face the tests and challenges of her calling. When the calling of God came to Mary about Jesus being born to her, she didn't suddenly start to get ready, did she? She had been preparing. She was listening to the, the Holy Spirit on the inside of her said, develop this, get ready this. And she was a very trusting sort with God. Had to be for her to answer that call. Had to be for God to come and say to this poor girl, you're going to be, bear a child. Even though you're not married, you're going to bear a child. Even though society doesn't like this a whole lot, you're going to bear a child. Okay, whatever you say. She trusted him. She was being developed that way. And so was her husband, Joseph. Her husband to be Joseph. He was being developed in that way too. You see, the time for development of these people was before the call that they had to answer. Before the test that came their way. But they had to yield to it. Even though Joseph didn't see the end. I don't know how I can be ruler. I'm here as a slave. I'm here as a prisoner. He could have just given up, but he kept on without seeing the end. He kept on. Abraham, how many times could he have given up? Well, I'm just never going to have a child. I mean, I'm 98. This is not happening. He could have given up, but he didn't. He kept, he kept on. He kept being developed. And when he got to that place, he was ready. We need not to focus so much on the where we are. We need to focus on the who we are. Who are we? What is God making us into? What is God making us into? Well, what's the presses? 
What is it that holds us down? First off, there's, there's blame. Again, we're going to review some of these stories we've already looked at. We blame others. Seeing the hand of others as the cause for where we are. It's the blame game. How many of y'all like it when people in Washington blame others? It's always never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. You know what? I'm looking for people who take charge and say, I don't care whose fault it is. Let's solve this thing. But they're always out there for blame. Blame is a sign of immaturity. Now, just think back to when you were younger. And something went on between brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters or brothers and brothers. What happened? What, it's always, that we're always pointing out what? What they did. Well, they did this. Well, that's because they did. But you didn't see. They, they, they did this. We're always out there to blame. It's a sign of immaturity. Now, as a parent, does that have any effect upon you at all? Do you care who did what? <laughs> Not a whole lot. But when you're a child, you are really hoping that there's, there's some substance in this argument. But he did. But he bit me first. But he hit me. <laughs> oh, man. We're always in there and blame. Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. What, is, uh, what happens on, on, all, on all that? Adam says, well, it's, it's the woman's fault. This woman you gave me. And then we turn to Eve. Eve, what do you have to say? Well, it's the serpent. The serpent deceived me. No one wants to take issue. Take issue. No one wants to take up and, I did it. And you know what? I knew I shouldn't have done it, and I did it. We don't want to do that. We want to blame others. Elijah. He's all depressed and all down, and we've looked at his story before. I've been very zealous for the Lord. But I'm the only one left. Now we're looking to take me. We're blaming other people. I'm the only good one here. Everyone else is. <laughs> they're no good. So that's an immature way of going. We're not developing the who. We've got to develop the who. Who are we? You see, as long as I see the fault as in the hands of someone else, the problem can never change. As long as people in Washington can get you to believe it's someone else's fault and you can't blame them, it doesn't get better. It's not their fault. It's how it is. Somebody else created this. No. As long as you don't take ownership, as long as you can blame other people, there's nothing for you to change. Could Joseph have blamed other people? Could have blamed his brothers. Brothers, They sold me into slavery. He could have blamed Potiphar's wife. If it wasn't for her, I mean, I was doing just fine. And then, you know, she came along. Abraham could have blamed his wife. His wife could have blamed him. There's always, there's always things we can blame things on. There's always stuff to blame. There's other people, there's situations, there's circumstances. But when are we going to stand up and say, you know what, no matter what it is that we inherited, we can change this. We can alter this. We can bring this about. One of the things I loved about President Reagan, when he would get up, I, he's one of the few presidents. I used to look forward to his speeches on the TV or on the radio because he would get up and he would never talk about, well, this is what happened. This is what someone else did. He would get up and say, we, as the American people, can take this challenge and we can face it and we can win. There was never any blame. There was never any fault. There was only vision. There was only we can, we can do it. We can get out there. God is telling us 
Steve, you can overcome this. No matter what it is that people have done to you, no matter what situation you've been put into, no matter what it is that people are doing here or there, you can overcome it. You can overcome it. If my focus is on things I cannot change, then growth and development are out of my hand. And as long as the devil can sell you on this bill of goods, you will not grow and develop. You will stay immature. You will stay young. As long as you go around blaming other people. Well, so-and-so. Well, this. Well, As long as those words come out of your mouth, as long as those thoughts are in your head, you're never going to change what you need to change. You need to look in the mirror and say, you know what? Who you are is your fault. Now, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and let's go. Let's move. Let's do something about this. Don't get into blame. If you find yourself blaming other people, even if they really did something to hinder you, it's not helping you. If Joseph didn't go around blaming other people, Abraham, look at the people that were weak in the Word of God. Israel, how weak were they? How many times did they blame other people for their situation? It didn't get them very far, did it? And it never overcame. Never overcame. Joshua and Caleb, oh man, they were, they were doing all right. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Now the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of, of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the being a, getting involved in a blame game, that doesn't help us out. But also, immaturity will keep us from becoming the who that we need and being satisfied with being immature. The disciples had come to the other side. They had forgotten taking bread. And Jesus gave them a teaching. Take heed and beware of the leaven or the teaching or the doctrine or the uh, thinking of the Pharisees. And they thought, it's because we have taken no bread. They're, it's an immature response. Who would think that? Why would you think that Jesus is talking about that? And Jesus says, wait a minute. You were there when we fed the 5,000. We started with this. How much did we take up at the end? All right, you were there when we fed the 4,000. We started with this. How much did we take up in the end? And you still don't get it? You think I'm talking about bread? Immature. When we are immature, we, take, we, we have reactions to things that Jesus wants to teach us that are wrong. And Jesus gets, he just gets frustrated. Like, How can you get that? Now, think of your own self. Think of uh, ones that are, are younger in your life. And you're trying to teach them. And as you're trying to teach them something profound, they come up with something really stupid. <laughs> you, you've all seen that, right? And some of you think, how in the world do you come? How do you see that out of this? Well, this is where Jesus is at with the disciples. How do you see this? Here's a, I mean, I thought you guys were something. I thought you guys were going, going along here. And I'm giving you something here. And you get, and it's not even that much. It's just beware of the teaching at the Pharisees. That's it. It's just beware. Watch out for it. And they came up with something 
Like this. You see, immaturity causes us to hear something spiritual and to come out with something physical. Hear something spiritual and come out with something fleshly. That's immaturity. That means I won't grow and develop because I'm not taking the things that are important and doing anything with them. It's kind of like, you know, if you are, uh, if you're into tools. And if you go out and you buy some, uh, how many remember watching tool, tool, Tim the Tool Man on the TV? And, you know, Tim the Tool Man, he had some nice tools in the garage. And, and they were all for the, working on the hot rod and, the, and the building the cars and stuff like that. And he had a particular tool that was very expensive and had a particular unique function. And I think his wife borrowed it one time to, um, to, to use as a, something else that it was not intended to. For and he was upset that she had used this for this. And so he took her over onto the workbench and he married, made her promise that I will, I will not use any of the tools from the garage <laughs> for things that are not intended. And so that's how, what they did. And, and so uh, uh, that went on. Well, later on, the, the, the little boy, he was little at the time of the show, he had taken this particular tool to use and it broke as he was using it. And so he didn't know what to do with it, so he took it and he threw it inside the dryer. And well, eventually, you know, the tool became, notice it was missing and, and uh, Tim begins to accuse his wife of using it again and not putting it back or using it for something that shouldn't be done and, and so forth. And she said, no, I, I made that promise. I didn't use anything. I didn't do any of that sort of things. And well, it turned out that, you know, they found out where it was and who did it and, and so forth. Well, you see, it's a sign of an immature person who takes something that's meant for a very specific purpose and has a lot of value and uses it for to bang something in place. That's immaturity. That's not knowing what's, what's there. That's not esteeming the value of what's there. A mature person sees the thing and, oh, that says value. We need to use this for, for just what it is. But see, the immature person will be lazy. Well, I can just grab this right now. Let's just take this and, and do something with it. Jesus said to them, you saw these great miracles and you have the understanding that I'm talking about this? How is that possible? See, we're not learning the things for this level of development because we're all at different levels of development. And at our level of development, God wants us to grow to a certain, certain place, a certain level. But we're at a certain level of development and we need to get the things that are at that level. He goes on in... in um, Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, that I the Son of Man am? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. If we kept on going, we'd find out that Peter pulls them aside and rebukes them. But it's because they had understood certain principles that he was taking them to another level. Because they had gained some things at that area of maturity, 
He was taking them on to another level. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Paul, at this stage in the Corinthians' development, would have liked to have seen them grow more. He would have liked to let them have, to have been in a different place. They apparently were given the tools to have grown spiritually more than they did. But they didn't take advantage of those tools. And they stayed carnal. They stayed immature. And Paul says, I would, at this point in your development, at this point in, in your life, I would like to speak to you in a place that would be meat. That would have more substance to it. But instead, I have to give you milk. Now, milk is for babies. Milk is to help babies grow. It's easier to digest and all the, the things that, that come along with that. Uh, but, you know, there's no substance to it. For some of you moms who nurse or dads who are around when the kids are nursing, you know that as long as they're on milk, they need to eat every few hours. But, oh, for the day when they eat cereal. I know it's messier, but it stays with them longer. And you don't have to get up every couple of hours and feed them. You can, they'll go a little bit longer on that. And then they start even more solid food and they, they stay filled longer. It's good. And it also helps in their growth and development. But as long as you're just giving them milk, they're only going to be babies. I would, to, brethren, could not, I'm, I'm sorry, verse uh, 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. I could not speak to you as the spiritual people. How many times has God, how many times has the Holy Spirit, how many times has uh, the situation we're in, have people been around that wanted to speak to us as spiritual people but had to hush, had to hold it back? No, they can't take that. They can't take that. Mm -mm. Nope. Can't do it. And you'll never know about it. If the person that's supposed to speak into you is mature, you'll never know. Never know. They'll wait and wait till you're ready. They're not going to go around and start telling your friends, well, I wouldn't speak to them this way. They won't do that. Now, Paul told them directly in this situation, it's about time you get on with it. Let's go. You need to start, getting, you need to start moving. You've been babes too long. Look at verse 3. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you... Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? As long as there is envy, strife, and division. That sounds, doesn't that sum up pretty much the uh, 6 o'clock news? I haven't watched one in a long time. And I know many of you have not either. But when the, think about the days when you used to watch them. Doesn't that kind of sum up the news? They want to get you to envy this. They want you to be in strife over this. And they want you to get you divided over this. That's immaturity. God said, Peter is saying, I'm sorry, Paul is saying right here, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? You want to see one of the signs of getting out of being carnal? Stop being susceptible to envy, strife, and division. So that's the second one. Maturity. We need to get to a place where we're growing and becoming mature. Number three. 
Resistance. There's a resistance that we can have to doing what God said to do. Sometimes God has said to do something, but I don't see the sense in it. Right? This doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't understand this. And so then I become resistant to it. Now, we've got a couple of examples here that aren't even in your outline. Your outline got real crowded today, so I had to you know, drop stuff. Uh, Israel is obviously one you can think of. How many times was Israel resistant to it? They continually were resistant to this. One time, there was, there was a problem they were facing, and God says, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the, this barren area. I want you to dig ditches. Really? This is your solution. We've got this huge army coming against us, and you want us to dig ditches. <laughs> Man, is there another God up there that we can talk to? I mean, dig ditches? Really? Come on. R- dig ditches? Yeah, yeah. Get out there and dig some ditches. What's the plan B on this one? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Why would we dig ditches? But then God came, and in the nighttime, the water came, and it flowed in, and it filled up those ditches. And when the army came on down, they saw the sun reflecting off the water in the ditches. And they say, oh, this and this happened. And all these people have come down and killed themselves. And they saw blood all over the place. And it caused a response in them. And in the end, Israel won. Didn't make sense though, did it? How about Israel when they're coming out of Egypt and they got the army of, army of Egypt behind them? And God says, I want you to get right here where there's a, no place to go to the north, no place to go to the south, no place to go here. The only place you can go is where the river is. That makes no sense. All right, if you're all thirsty, I want you to line up in front of this rock. I don't understand this. They were resistant to the things that God wanted them to do. When Naaman was told by the prophet, go wash in the Jordan seven times, he was resistant. I don't want to, the, the, the Jordan's muddy, it's dirty. Go back home to Damascus, there are much better rivers over there. He was resistant. But when he finally yielded, he saw the, the thing come. But see, sometimes we're resistant to do the things that God wants to do. What would have happened if Joseph was resistant and he was sold into slavery and he said, I'm resistant to the things of God. Following after God has not helped me out here. I'm resistant. He just decided to become resistant to what God wanted to do. That wouldn't have been so helpful, would it? There's a resistance we can do to the things of God. We need to make sure that I am soft. If God says, go out there and do this thing, we go out there and we do it. We get done. You know, when you go into boot camp, the idea is you are not resistant to anything that the uh, master sergeant says. If he says, give me 20, you give him 20. If he says, run a mile, you run a mile. If he says scrub the floor, you scrub the floor. I don't think about why. I don't think. I don't say what was just scrubbed. Uh. If God says I need you to do this, we need to do it because see, God knows the overall scheme of things. He knows the things that we're going to face in the area of health. He knows the things we're going to face in the area of finances. He knows the things we're going to face in the area of storms. He knows what's ahead, and He says, "All right, we've got a plan." The devil wants to use this to destroy you, but I got a plan. To smash him. Now, do these. Do this. Oh, good, good, good. Do this. You know, we ought to, you're all going to be in your homes for a little while. Next couple of days, you ought to go out and write, rent Karate Kid. What's the guy's name? Mr. Miyagi or something like that? 
Mr. Miyagi, you know, we wax on, wax off. <laughs> and y'all remember his response to wax on, wax off. And he waxed all the cars and finally he gets all frustrated and said, I've waxed all your cars, I've cleaned all your cars, and it's done me no good at all. <laughs> and then Mr. Miyagi shows him the beauty of his wisdom and what he was getting him ready for. And then he felt stupid. God has a plan, but he needs us to be submitted to him. And no matter how many cars he tells us to wax, we go ahead and we do it. Not resistant to it. Fourth thing, clinging. We can get kind of clinging in, in some of these things to the things of the flesh. Sometimes, sometimes we cling to the things of the flesh. God wants to wean us off some things in our flesh that are no good, that are holding us back. And he wants to wean us off from that. But we're clinging to it. No, I need this one. I want this one. Again, over to 1 Corinthians 3. Are you still carnal for where there are envy, strife, and division among you? Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? We've got to stop behaving like mere men. We've got to get rid of some of the things of the flesh. Sometimes we have a, a propensity to the flesh for, for one thing or another. And we need to get over it. God says, I want you to release that. I want you to let that go. When he came up to the rich young ruler, and he says, I want you to go sell all that you have. Come follow me. The man says, mm, I can't do that. Mm-mm. When he told the disciples, leave the boats, come follow me, what did they say? Okay. Okay, let's go. Let it go. Samson didn't let go of those things of the flesh. Held on to those things of the flesh and it brought him down. Hophni and Phinehas gave you the chapters there just in case we haven't covered them in a while. Gave you the chapters there if you want to go back there and look them up and read them. But these were guys that hung on to the things of the flesh. They're supposed to be priests. They hung on to the things of the flesh and God says, all right, that's it. One day they're going to die. Sure enough, they died. Because they're hanging on to the things of the flesh. So these are the things that hold us back. If we're hanging on to these things, these are the things that are going to hold us back. But what is it that enlightens us? What is this that brings us into this thing? First off, it's trust. I've got to get to a place where I trust God no matter what. I trust God no matter what. Be trusting of Him. Trust the things that God has to say. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 again. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as the carnal. I could not speak to you as the spiritual people, but as the carnal. Trust in God. God has a way that He wants to develop us. God has a way that He wants to bring you along. And if you let Him bring you along, He is going to be able to speak to you on some things to help you out in your situation. To get you prepared for what's coming along. Don't sit there and be scared. God said, I need you to step into this role. I need you to go over here and talk to this person. I need you to... And, and, oh, oh, no. God, I'm afraid. No, trust Him. Trust Him. Listen to His Spirit. Sometimes God is just going to pull up and say, I need you to study in this area of Scripture for a while. Pull up and study in that area of Scripture for a while. Why? Because I trust Him. If He told me to do it, I, I must need to do it. I need to get myself ready. See, God doesn't work on plans that are a week long. God works on plans that are thousands of years in the making. Hundreds of years. Thousands of years. He, he, he works on plans. You know, Joseph, uh, this is like 14 years out here, Joseph, but you know, it's okay. I mean, we need to work on it now. He works on it now like it's happening tomorrow, even though it's not happening for 14 years. He works on it with that intensity. Paul says, I would like to speak to you as spiritual. Right now, I would like to speak to you as spiritual people, but I cannot. 
If Paul needed to speak, wanted to speak to them as spiritual people, do you think they had a need for him to speak to them as spiritual people? But he couldn't do it. He had to speak to them as carnals. That means that need is not being met. That development is not coming. What enlightens? Trust. Faith. Faith in God. We've been talking principles of faith, principles of doubt and unbelief all through this series. Trust. Faith in God. If I learn faith in God for the small things, then when the time comes for the big things, I'm ready for it. If I'm ready to sow offerings because God says to do this when small things, then when big things come, I'm ready for it. Boldness. The Christian walk, folks, is not for the timid. If you are timid, you're not going to be anything more than immature. You're not going to grow real, real good. It's, you need to be bold. When God says something, I need to trust Him, have faith in Him, and be bold and step forth. Like uh, Peter and uh, Peter and uh, John came over to that gate, saw the guy down there. They were not timid, were they? They were bold. And when they got brought before the magistrates, all the, the leaders, and they said, you will not speak in this name anymore. They said, oh, Father God, give us more boldness than we had before. Oh, give us more boldness. We want to be more bold. Be bold for the things of God. Don't be timid. Be bold. Maturity. So already talked about that. Maturity enlightens. I need to have the, the mindset that I am going to grow in maturity for God. I am going to become a mature believer. I'm going to let go of these things that keep me immature. I'm going to move on. If you want to know how many things are that keep me immature, watch the young children. What are the things about them that tell you they are immature? Now, when you, you know, you see the little kids... And they're doing some things. How many of y'all think, oh, that's so cute? Oh, isn't that neat? Oh, look at that. Oh, that's so cute. And it's cute because they're little. little. If they're big and they do it, what do you think? You slap them upside upside the head. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> We're going to fix that. There's, there's always a corresponding action from the flesh to the spirit. And what things we can see in people when they're carnal... When they're fleshly. All right, Father God, what is it that's in the Spirit about this? What is it about that young child that I can learn from to get rid of that in my life? What is it about that? How many of you, when you're young children, love the cheated games? Just so you could win. Oh, just so I could win. Because winning was the most important thing. And so we would cheat. And we do things. You know, we were just playing some games. My wife and I we were playing some games with some real little ones. And doggone if they didn't just cheat blatantly. <laughs> I mean, openly and defiantly, just <laughs> cheat. And uh, and and uh, fortunately, I my, my wife knocked me out of the game. Because after a while, you know, I just kind of threw my arms. I said, "This is no fun. This is just cheating, <laughs> it's cheating all the time." I mean, it's croquet. They're taking this, the ball. If it's not where they want, they, everybody's not looking. They just drag it over to where they want it to be and put it right there in front of the little hole, so they can just you know, next time. Just go right out there and, and do that. And no one's looking. And I'm just laughing at them. <laughs> you know, one hit turns out to be four. And then they lose. They cry. That's immature. Well, what kind of things are like that with you? Well, listen to some of your prayers to God. Oh, God, I lost. <laughs> and you weren't there to help me. <laughs> it's immature. It's immature. Look at David's prayers. When David's being chased by enemies. Look at his prayers. You want to learn what a mature person does? Stop boohooing to God. Learn what a mature person does. 
Learn what a person does who's, who's ready. Patience. Immature folks have no patience with things. But the mature do. Be mature. Have patience. Obedience. Mature people obey. They know the importance of it. Obey. Obey. Here's a sum up. Learn, grow, and be fruitful. Because most of these things, folks, are just being fruitful. We went through a whole series. About a half a year we spent on being fruitful. We can be fruitful. It's important. Mature people bear fruit. Not immature people. Mature people bear fruit. Learn, grow, and be fruitful. These are things you need to do. Over in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. In 17, verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you. There's one phrase that was repeated four times in these two verses. I will make you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. God is in the making process. He is in the making process. God will make you. He's got a vision for you. He's got a thing for you. He says, I will make you. You know how he does it? He starts telling you, get ready for this. Do this over here. Sow this. Obey here. Read this. Study this. Pray this way. Listen. Touch yourself over here. I heard this. When you grow spiritually, I mean, how many of us want to know, am I really growing spiritually? Have I grown spiritually? I love this statement. It was made. When you grow spiritually, compassion replaces judgment. When you grow spiritually, compassion replaces judgment. Think of the story. Jesus is over in his ministry. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees bring a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. We've taught on this before. You can't catch a woman in the act of adultery alone. But they only bring the woman. And they bring her before Jesus. And Moses' law says that we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus began to write down in the sand. And one by one they left. People assumed that, they, of course, he wrote some things that convicted them of what they had done. And they all wandered away. And eventually they were all gone. And no one was left but Jesus. And Jesus said to the woman, Where are your accusers? And she said, they've all gone. And Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. When you grow spiritually, compassion replaces judgment. As long as you see a situation and you think judgment, you've placed yourself. Because what does God think? How can we win these people over? When Jesus went into Capernaum and said he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. So what does he do? Judge. He went about the villages teaching ministry. Laid hands on a few sick people and got them healed. They said, all right, if we can't get there, let's teach them. Let's see if we can get them there. Compassion replaces judgment. 
Where are you at? Growing spiritually. Where are you at with the things of God? The areas of doubt and unbelief and faith in His Word. He wants us to grow. There's all kinds of levels we can be in. But God is dealing with you on your level right now. God is dealing with you with where you're going. doesn't matter what your age. doesn't matter what your background. doesn't matter if you've been with God for 30 years or 3 years or 3 months. It makes no difference. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. Don't resist Him. Listen to Him. Get to that place where you don't resist anything that He does. As soon as He speaks it, I go. The things that are associated with the flesh and the Word of God, I get rid of those. Strife, envy, division. I get rid of those things. I don't need them. They're not going to do me any good. They're going to keep me carnal, which means Jesus can't speak to me. When did Jesus start teaching His disciples about deeper things? When they opened themselves up to hear what God was revealing to them. When that happens, God can speak more things to you and get you ready for it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for where we can go and what we can grow in. We thank you, Father, that there are examples in the word of God of people who have been immature, people who have been mature, people who have been carnal, people who have been spiritual. We want to emulate the people who have been spiritual. We want to get away from the things that people who are carnal, what they did. As we go about our day today, tomorrow, and next week, help us to remember some of the stories that we have heard in the past. Remind us of those who are carnal, those who are spiritual. Let us see the patterns that were there with each one. We'll see a lot of consistency between those that are carnal and a lot of consistency with those who are mature. Help us to get into that place of the mature. We thank you for it. Thank you too, Father, that wherever we go here, whichever direction we head today, your angels are around us to watch over us. There is no storm that can cause us to be in a place of unrest. We trust you. We trust you. We have spoken your word, and we trust that your word will work. We will not let fear come into our lives, not only over this weekend while the storm is here, but in any situation, because we're growing to a place of maturity. 